We are going to start this year off. We're, we're about to get back to Exodus, but we're going to get back to Exodus next Sunday. Today, I thought I would start this year off with a plan for the new year. And so we're going to kind of go all over lots of different places uh, in the Bible. And uh, so if you can't, if you don't want to keep up with that, we'll put the words up here. I always love for you to have a Bible in your hands and to to look at it uh, just because there's something about that 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 gets us out of maybe the phone world or or just, you know, somebody else doing it for you gets familiar with it. It's places you can write stuff. So uh, if that's any part for you, if that would be any benefit to you, I would love for you uh, to follow along with us. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. You can go there uh, as we kind of get going this morning. Where I want to start today as we talk about this plan for the new year, I want to start with this idea of distraction. I think distraction in our world, in our culture, in our nation is almost a religion. We we are distracted and it it is almost our hope, you could say. I think we're experts at finding distraction. No matter what you are doing, if there is a moment's pause, you will find something else to do. As a matter of fact, while you're doing something, maybe no matter how important it is, you're wondering if there's something else to do. And I I get it. Our our life is full and fast and, and, and we have to really, really roll hard to get everything done. I get it. But I don't know that we've reckoned with the fallout of that obsession of distraction. I don't know that that you understand or I understand fully how much devastation that wreaks in our lives and in our souls. And so I was thinking about being distracted this week as I was thinking about where we were going to start. And I thought about a couple years ago, I was driving down the road and someone from church called me. Uh, And so I picked up my phone and I started talking to them as I was driving down the road. It's a road I know really well and whatever. And suddenly I see flashing lights behind me. And I was like, oh, man. And, and I was totally in the wrong. I should not be on my phone that way. And the, the officer was very gracious and didn't give me a ticket or whatever. But, you know, I thought about why that didn't even cross my mind. And, and why it didn't cross my mind, I mean, this is a non-judgmental place, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're, yeah, no, not so much. Okay, we'll just move on. Uh, Back when fo- car, cell phones were first a thing, we had what was called a car phone. And our first car phone we bought in 1993 was a bag phone. Did anybody have a bag phone? Okay, so you're like, what is a bag phone? This is awesome deals, right? They had a bag and you had a phone in it and you plugged it into your lighter and you could talk to people. Now, we got that because Dana was pregnant with Kylie and we wanted to be able to be like, I don't know, we just thought it was a nice thing. Somebody came to our work, and, but we never used it because <laughs> nobody talked on the phone while you were driving in the car. But the whole point was, you know, you're so cool that you're driving down the road talking on the phone while you're in the car. We had not yet reckoned. So, so I come from a culture that talking on the phone was kind of encouraged and cool and now it's really, really bad and... I don't know if we really have embraced how bad it is to be distracted. As a matter of fact, distraction while driving has proven to be one of the greatest life and death issues of our day. We are voluntarily putting ourselves in danger and uh, seemingly unconcerned by it. The latest studies show that 25% of auto accidents, one out of four auto accidents are caused by texting while driving. 
Do you know that is a far higher rate than accidents caused by driving drunk? It's a much worse problem. It is actually the cause of 68% of teen driver accidents. 70% of teen driver accidents from texting while driver, driving. 3,500 people each year die because of distracted driving. About, just to give you a sense, nine people a day die. Not just are in accidents, but die because they are distracted from what they're supposed to be putting their attention on to something else that probably doesn't matter as much as what they're putting at risk. There were 10 times more deaths from distracted driving than from guns in 2017. 10 times more. This is a big issue. And the issue simply comes from this little thing of I'm doing something, I'm, I'm, my attention is required, but I've been distracted from where my attention is needed to something else and arguably something less. There are probably not a lot of life and death texts that you get. Probably not a lot of texts that can't wait until you're done driving. But we are so obsessed with distraction that when something comes in, we can't help but be distracted by it and to it. Interestingly, we know the danger. Even teens know the danger. A study by AAA showed that 94% of teens acknowledge that there is danger to texting and driving, but more than one-third of them do it anyway. We don't care because we can't give this distraction up. My point is just how deadly distraction can be. And while we see that with things like using your phone while you're driving a car, where your attention is required here, but you've been distracted here, I want to say there are bigger things for this year than even that. As, that, as life and death as that is, when we allow our attention to be moved from the main thing to something lesser, it will have repercussions. And so as we head into this new year, this new decade, I want to take this morning and just gather our thoughts for a plan for this year, spiritually. Because what I want you to do with me is ask ourselves the question, what is the main thing? What is the main thing for us as believers? And what is the main thing for us as a church? Without any question, you will have a lot to do this year. You have all kinds of stuff that is required from you that you've got to get done. How do you know which of those things are lesser things? Which of those things are distractions from what really matters? All, if all you ever do is, is accumulate all your tasks and check things off a list and you never evaluate which of these things are worthy of by priority and which are not, you will be run by your schedule instead of running your schedule. And your soul will reap the reward, will reap the fallout of that. If we continue to be obsessed by being distracted, our spiritual goals, our spiritual well-being will suffer. And so how do you sort out what matters and what doesn't matter? How do you have confidence that at the end of this year, you'll be glad that you invested your time and in your energy where you invested it? And as a church... There are many things that churches do and can be, and there are many things our church could do and be, but what is the main thing for us as a church, and how can we keep from being distracted? I think New Year's is the opportunity God gives us in some ways for our humanity to be very intentional about deciding what habits and behaviors are going to be here, what are going to be the immovables, and what it's not. 
So I want to talk through a couple simple priorities, a little different feel from some of the things that, that we normally do, but I want to talk through some of these choices that you can make that I'm going to ask you to make that will keep you on track and help you sort out distraction from true direction. When you boil it all down, why are we here as believers? Why are we here as a church? It's a pretty simple thing. I can sum it up in just a few words. We are here so that we will grow in Jesus and so that we can share Jesus. That's, so we can grow in Jesus, and so we share Jesus. We don't want to leave either of those aside. I think it is just as important that we share Jesus as that we grow, and I think it's just as important that we grow in that we share. So I think both of those things have to go together. But there are some, even though there are lots of ways to, to kind of attack that, I think there are some God-designed things that are central to this. And the first one is the one that I want to look at in Ephesians chapter 4. It is this concept of community. Community is a huge part of what it means to be a believer. I will say to you, especially if, you know, you're not normally a churchgoer or you've been sporadic over the years or whatever, Community is a huge part of what it means to be a believer. You aren't really experiencing all that the Lord has for you if you aren't effectively connected to your Christian community. And I don't mean on social media. Do you know what I mean? I don't mean the illusion of connection. I don't mean joining a conversation online. What I mean is, not regionally or nationally or worldwide, your up-close and personal community. We call that a church. So whether this is your church or somewhere else is your church, part of being a Christian requires that you are in community. And we do a lot of things here at Hope designed to help us foster and build community. Things like small groups, which are one of our norms. We, are, we have put together small groups and we teach about small groups and we encourage people because we believe community is essential to what it means to experience new life in Jesus Christ. There are many ways you can be a part. That's just one. Wednesday night Bible study is one. There's a lot of ways you can be a part of community. But why do we think community is so important? Why is it part of the main point? Here's why. Because community enables our mission to grow in Jesus and share Jesus. Without community, that doesn't happen. And that's why I wanted to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Because here's what Paul says at the end of a longer discussion. He says this in verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So he's using this picture of a body to talk about us as a church. And, I, and there's so much in almost every phrase, every word of this verse. From him, he is the source, he is the life, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the one who has called us and saved us. We become a part of this community through Jesus. But then he uses this picture of a body and all of us being a part of it and all of us need to be held together every supporting ligament holding us together so that we don't fall apart. He uses the picture of a body to talk about inclusiveness. Every part matters. Every person. And he points out, he doesn't point out muscles and bones and organs. He points out ligaments. You know, just little tiny things that hold things together. And he's saying all of us as a part of the body, are part of holding this together. You don't have to be different than who you are. As a matter of fact, your uniqueness is what God wants 
so that this body holds together. And just like a body, it takes many parts for the body to work well. Even just a torn ligament can really handicap you, right? So he says, that body joined together, holding together with every ligament, what happens? It grows and builds itself up in love. It accomplishes the mission to grow in Jesus and share Jesus. How? As the body functions together, as we are held together. And so I say, community is central to our mission. And when I say community, people think whatever kind of pictures they have in their head. But let me tell you something I've learned from experience. True community, the kind of community God's talking about here, is not about being with people just like you. Let me say that again, because I think that's something we stumble on a lot in church and in our country and in our world. True community is not finding a bunch of people who think like you, look like you, are at the same phase of life as you, that, that you get and they get you that are... That's not the kind of community that does this supernatural thing. It is the variegation of the body. It is the, the variety, the, the ways that we are unique that make the body strong. So I'm not, when I say community, I'm not saying go find people that it's easy for you to connect with. I'm saying go find people that are a part of God's plan for your growth that will help you get better at sharing Jesus with the world around us. It is about intentionality. It is about risk-taking. And it's not about the short-term, I like this. It's about the long-term, I need this. And so community is central to it. How do we have community? He says that. He says, you know, that, that we grow and build ourselves up in love. How? How does it happen? How do we grow and build up the body? Last phrase is, each part does its work. All of you have a calling from God in this church, if, or your church, if this is not your church. Wherever you are called to be, if you are a believer, you are called to have a part that God has given to you. And each part needs to do its work. Some of the way that the enemy gets us distracted is, I'm worried about someone else's work. Well, why didn't they? Well, who's going to do that? Well, those people are... I'm worried about other people's work. Each part needs to do its own work. What's your work? And how are you doing your work? For hope to fulfill our calling this year, for God's kingdom to explode, everyone has to participate because no one can do your work for you. God designed us to need every part to do its work. And most of the time, what happens in church is church is busy trying to offset a bunch of people who are called to be a part of the body and do their work who have stepped back when God asked them to step up. We walk around and, and try to minister and try to see the kingdom of God grow be, when we are handicapped by a bunch of people who have disqualified themselves or excused themselves when God has called you in. And to it. And so community is very central to this. God calls us a body and asks each of us to do its work. So I want to kind of go through some things and I want to give you some suggestions and some requests about some of the work that you have in the body that the health of the body depends on you doing. The profound truth is this 
The health of the body mirrors, mirrors your personal spiritual health. And your personal spiritual health mirrors the health of the body. The body won't be healthy and you won't be healthy and growing unless you do your part. But if each part does its part, then the body is supernaturally effective by the power of God for God's kingdom. So let me give you a couple things that should be on your priority list this year, okay? Number one, we're gonna go to Psalm 42. And in Psalm 42, I wanna tell you what I think is maybe the, the core thing that you need to keep central in your life this year and we need to keep central in the life of our church. It is the well-being of our soul. We need to make a priority and keep as the main thing seeking the Lord for my own life. Psalm 42, one to three says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? It's just a beautiful, poetic way that this psalmist writes about this ache for God to be close, to be present, to, to, to know the realness of him, to know his, his goodness and his love, to pursue a relationship with God. And I'm gonna tell you, as we get busy and we get distracted, one of the first things that will slide from your priority list is your, the well-being of your soul, your thirst for the living God. And that is an intentional attack to destroy you. That is an intentional attack to downgrade your effectiveness for the kingdom of God by the enemy of our souls who wants us to be unwell anyway, but certainly doesn't want us to be effective in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to be growing in it. And so what happens is all of this stuff comes at us, this very urgent stuff, and what slips away from us is this passion for God. And so I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna stay on any of these real long because they're pretty simple, but... Let me just ask you, what would it take for you to have a thirst like this for the presence and the work and the connection with God? What would it take? And whatever that is, even if you end up being wrong about it, whatever it is that you think it would take for that thirst to come alive in you, make time for it. Be intentional about it. Say, well, Mark, I have no idea. Well, I'll give you some ideas. What you're doing right now. Coming and sharing and, and, and borrowing the passion of brothers and sisters. Bouncing that passion off of one another as we worship. Coming and learning from the word of God. This is one of those things that will whet your thirst for a relationship with him. But there's things you can do on your own. We have a Bible reading plan out for you so that you can intentionally, day by day, and I think it's like five days a week or something, but it's read through the Bible this year. And check things off one day at a time and make sure that you are inputting and, and talking with God and finding time to do that in a, in a real and living way and getting better at it just by doing it. This is a foundation for a life worth living. If you find yourself this year wondering, what is this all about? And when will it ever get better? The chances are that somewhere along the way, you have been distracted from the main thing, which is seeking the Lord for your life. Knowing him personally, receiving life from him, 
No one can do this for you. Sometimes I wish we could. You have to choose it for yourself. So don't let a busy or stressed life take you away from this. Find time to regularly check in on your spiritual thirst. And know that if you do and when you do, keep this perspective in mind, that this thirst that the psalmist writes about God is the thirst that God has for a relationship with you. Isn't that incredible? That the God who created the universe longs like this for you to come to him, for you to know him, for you to be with him, be present with him. That is an incredible reality. And so as we pursue a relationship with God, as we, we stoke the fires and feed that fire, remember, we are reflecting the passion that God has for us to know him. There are some other things that you can do to keep the main thing the main thing for us as a church and for us as individuals. The next place I want to go is Matthew chapter 20. And these are going to be words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26. It says this. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This statement from Jesus is one of the most countercultural statements that we find in the Word of God. And it, and it says this to me. One of the ways you can keep the main thing the main thing is by being intentional about serving people. Be intentional about serving people. Because all of us know that unless I'm intentional about that humility, about that, that, that giving thing, what happens in life, and especially in a busy, distracted, stressed out life, is I start to become very self-involved and very aware of my problems and my needs, and I keep thinking that someday, when I got all my stuff settled, then I'll serve other people. Like, I hear a lot of times, I'll be glad when, they, when I come through this, and then I'll be able to help other people. I think we've, we've fallen for a trap, because you don't need to wait to help other people. You don't need to wait to serve other people. One of the things that keeps your soul healthy is to serve people. And Jesus said this, part of being a Christian is embracing this value. I am not here to be served. Maybe write that somewhere. Maybe we'll say that a few times every Sunday morning. I am not here to be served. I am not here to be comfortable. I am not here. I am not alive. I am not living so that I can get what I want. I am not here so that I can have a good life. Jesus said, I am here to serve. And if you want to follow me, serve. And he says, just as the Son of Man, Jesus, a messianic title for him. Just as I did not come to be served, but to serve. And when Jesus says that, what he says is serving other people isn't about thinking you're worthless or less than them. It's about recognizing, and this is hard, this is why it's got to be intentional, because it's not natural. It's about recognizing that the best thing I can do with my time and my energy and my resources is serve other people. That's the best thing I can do with my time, energy, and resources. Humanly speaking, the best thing you can do with your time, energy, and resources is 
Whatever makes you comfortable. Whatever makes you happy. Whatever gives you peace. Whatever is what you want, do that. And that will be your pathway to a good life. Jesus, our Savior, said, I think differently and I call you if you follow me to think differently. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said would be front and center for Christians. Love your neighbor and love one another as I have loved you. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes it like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Serve. Serve. If you want to stay on point, if you want us to stay on point, if you want your life to be healthy and whole, serve. You cannot serve in place of a healthy soul. Like serving does not trump your need to be thirsty, desiring for a relationship with God. But when you are, out of that comes serve. There are lots of places to serve in our church. We're going to keep opening the doors and keep inviting you in and keep helping you and walk alongside you. Even if you don't know what you're doing, most of us don't. But serving is not just for the church. There are even more places for you to serve those around you in your life, but you have to choose it. And in choosing it, you will keep the main thing the main thing. You will have unlocked a secret to keeping your heart full and your soul clear. So make this year a year where you intentionally step forward into serving, whether in a formal way at church or just a mindset as you walk through life. Serve people, just like Jesus served people. Next thing I want to invite you to is a work that is a priority and a foundation for all of us. And I, I found it in there's uh, obviously many places in Scripture, but I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Paul says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know which of these or, or if all of these are things that you are doing or aren't doing, but I'm saying this is one of the things that if it slipped off your radar, put it back. Share Jesus. Share Jesus with people. Sharing Jesus is one of the main reasons we are on this earth. The good news that we've received is too good to keep to ourselves. And the bad news is too bad to ignore. So we tell people about Jesus. It's the reason that your life takes the paths that it takes. It's the reason the rest of your day will look like the rest of your day looks. It's the reason that you work where you work and you go to school where you go to school. It's the reason the family members that are your family members are your family members. It's because God has intentionality for you to share Jesus as you walk through this life. God is moving daily so that you can have an impact in sharing Jesus with people. Like, well, I work with a bunch of Christians and all my family are believers, so who am I sharing Jesus with? Let me share with you a secret. Believers need you to share Jesus just as much as unbelievers do. 
We need to be pointed back to him and be reminded that following him is life and hope and health and peace. We need to be reminded about it all the time. So you can share Jesus with people who don't know him and people that do know him because we all need him. I'm not saying you say to your believing brother-in-law or whatever, hey, you need to accept Christ, get down on your knees. I'm just saying, hey, you know what? Aren't you glad that God cares about us? God loves us. What I'm, what I'm learning right now from the Lord is this, and you just share Jesus. Put him on your lips. Put him on the, the words that you say. Make your life focused because the discipline of sharing Jesus keeps your life focused. It gives purpose and meaning to the stuff that otherwise seems just pointless and empty. Because you know, I hope you know if you're a believer, your job is not about money. Do you know that? If you're a believer, your job is about sharing Jesus. Money's kind of a side point that God is working out, but your job is not about, your family is not about peace and perfection and the right picture. Your family is about sharing Jesus. Your church is not about your preference. Your country is not about your allegiance. Your bank account is not about what you can spend. All of these things are about sharing Jesus because you're a believer who knows that there's life and hope and an and offer of salvation to a lost world. You know it. Share it. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You want to stay on point this year? You want to keep from being distracted? You want the main thing to be the main thing? Share Jesus. Because that will resonate forever. And there's one other extension of that that I want to get to a couple chapters over. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And that is, it's not just about... The, the practice of sharing Jesus and the practice of serving keeps me from an unhealthy soul. The practice of sacrifice does as well. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here he's talking about financial resources. It's one of the things, you can say all you want, well, I know my money's God's and I would do anything God asked me to do, but that, that words are empty and thin and your soul is not well unless you actually intentionally choose to give to what God is doing. We as a church are dependent on each person doing their work, fully embracing this calling from God. I'm your pastor, I am not your accountant, I am not here to make sure that you give, but spiritually I am here to call you to give. Because it is needful for the work of this church to flourish, if we're gonna keep the main thing the main thing, we've gotta have the resources to do it, but more than that, it is needful for the health of your soul. And some of you have excused yourself and opted out, and there may be good reasons for that, but I think sometimes we get stuck in the spot where, well, I can't afford to, I can't afford to, and we just hold on to that excuse. And God, I think today, for some of you, is saying, will you step up here and start giving like you've been called to give, sacrificially. What he says here is, in the Old Testament, he gave them instructions. He told them, what you need to do, every time I give you a harvest or some increase, you need to take 10% of that and give that to God's work so that the house of God can flourish and so that the, the workers of God can do their thing. 10%. Now, that may sound extreme to you, but God gave them like a rule. In the New Testament, God never gives us a rule. What he does is he says, now you, you've seen what I've done with my son, right? 
You've seen how, how important it is to give, how, how healthy it is to give, how life-giving it is to give. You've seen that this earth and its stuff can't have your heart, can't hold you like that. So here's what I want you to do. Give cheerfully. Give like you're investing in forever. Give like you believe that this world is not where it's at. Give like you believe your money is not where you find security and safety. Give like this is an investment you believe in making. Reflect how important you think the word of God is in the way that you sacrifice and give. Some people on TV and, and other places would make this sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly a promise of financial reward. If you give a lot to the church, you're going to get more, even more back. That honestly is garbage. Because that's not what that's saying. Do you think that God's point here is a money-making scheme? I mean, how ridiculous. God's point here is let go of what has no hope. Let go of what people think is valuable but doesn't compare to the value of what it will do if it's given to what God is doing. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, if you, church, if we give sparingly, if we just give, well, I just have some left over here at the end of the month and I don't know, maybe next month I won't and I don't know, I also want to do this and that. If we just give sparingly, what you're going to reap here is sparing spiritually because we're handicapped. It's choked out. But if you give generously, God will pour out the, the work of the Spirit unhindered and unlimited because money's not in the way. You see? So the idea here is we get to decide how powerfully God is at work here in how we have a thirst for God, in how we serve, and how we share, and how we sacrifice. Every part does its work. Every part does its part. I want to close this morning in Matthew 13. As I, as I kind of thought about all this, it brought me to these words Jesus said, this parable Jesus said about the kingdom of God. And every time I read these words, I think about, you know, the kingdom of God, this big worldwide, throughout the ages, kingdom of God thing. But in a micro way, it's also right here. So this to me, is always a challenge about what this should look like, right? So here's the parable Jesus tells in Matthew 13, 31 down to 33. He told them this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through. The picture Jesus uses here is of very small things growing into very large things. He's saying that the kingdom of God by its nature is pervasive. It grows and it grows beyond reason. It grows beyond bounds. It grows supernaturally. It starts small, it starts weak, and it grows into this thing just as naturally as a mustard seed grows into a giant tree and as naturally as yeast spreads through an impossibly large quantity of flour. The kingdom of God, when we are doing these things, when the main thing is the main thing, the kingdom of God should explode. And I wonder, church, 
Do we believe that it's exploding like it should be here? That's a question I have for us. I'm not saying God's not at work. God's at work in huge ways. But is it everything he wants to do? Or is there more? We want to see God pour out his work here. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see his will done. We want to see it here this year. It is our mission to share God's redeeming work with people to serve one another and to, to share God's love so we can grow and be built up as the body. But each part must do its part for that to happen. And so if you are doing everything God asks you to do, hopefully this is an encouragement for you to stay on track. But if there's something or lots of things, take a step forward so that you can step in to what God has as your part for our church in this new year. And we can see the main thing stay the main thing and not be distracted into tragedy and wreck. All right, let's put this with the Lord before we go this morning. Let's stand together, close in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for these words from your word, for the way that you call us to something so much fuller, so much bigger than what we often settle for. I pray, Father, even now your spirit would be doing a work in our souls, clarifying and pointing out to us the places where we've been tangled up, wrapped up in, in unhealthy or wrong ways. We've, we've been distracted from the main thing by so many other things. We got our feelings hurt or someone did us wrong or we have problems and we have issues in our lives and, and we've let those things become a trap to pull us away from why we're here. Father, we don't have all the answers, but we know that you do. So point us to you so that you can get us on these tracks. Help us, Father, to, to step forward into these disciplines in our lives so that our life can stay focused and full of meaning, full of purpose. Father, we do pray that your spirit would break out in this place week after week, day after day, that you would take us as your ambassadors from this place this day and direct our lives this week so that Jesus would be known in our lives, in our world, in our spheres of influence, that he would be known and that your kingdom would grow just like that mustard seed into the tree and just like that yeast through the dough, that your kingdom would explode. Father, we put this in your hands. We surrender ourselves to it. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.